0: You're listening to the New Life Church Sunday Morning Podcast. We're a family of believers in Anderson, Missouri that want to experience God in a real way, both inside and outside the walls of a building. For more Sunday messages, upcoming events, or to get in touch, visit new-life-church.net. Oh, hallelujah, I'm glad to be here today. i tell you what, here's what I want you to do. First thing, I want you to look at the person to your left and say, God wants you to be a hunger buster. Now I know that sounded a little weird. And some of you probably didn't participate, and you're sitting there thinking, man, I missed my chance, so I'm going to give you another one. So you look to the person to your right and say, God wants you to be a hunger buster. Now, if you were raised in Texas, you're thinking of Dairy Queen right now, and uh, but that's not exactly what I was looking for. But at any rate, I'm going to, as, as Tony Evans says, I'm going to explain it to you here in a minute, okay? All right. But what uh, I'm going to read to you. I'm going to be preaching out of the most current version of the Bible that they had in 1611, but I am going to be reading this to you from the NLT, okay, if I can read this tiny, tiny print. Uh, I want to read this story of, in John chapter 4 and verse uh, 1 through 42, and uh, so it's a, it's, a good, it's, a, it's a little bit lengthy, but it's a good story, so gather around, story time, guys, everybody say story time. All right, thank you. All right, this is going to be fun. All right, you ready? Okay, Jesus knew the Pharisees had heard that he was baptizing and making more disciples than John, though Jesus himself didn't baptize them, his disciples did. So he left Judea and returned to Galilee. He had to go through Samaria on the way. Eventually he came to the Samaritan village of Sychar near the field that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there and Jesus, tired from the long walk, sat wearily beside the well about noontime. Soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water and Jesus said to her, please give me a drink. He was alone at the time because his disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. The woman was surprised for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. She said to Jesus, you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? Jesus replied, If you only knew the gift God has for you and who you are speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you living water. But sir, you don't have a rope or a bucket, she said. And this well is very deep. Where would you you get living water? And besides, do you think you're greater than our ancestor Jacob who gave us this well? How can you offer better water than he and his sons and his animals enjoyed? Jesus replied, Anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh, bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Please, sir, the woman said, Give me this water and I'll never be thirsty again, and I won't have to come here to get water. Go and get your husband, Jesus told her. I don't have a husband, the woman replied. Jesus said, you're right, you don't have a husband. For you've had five husbands, and you aren't even married to the man you're living with now. You certainly spoke the truth. Sir, the woman said, you must be a prophet. So tell me, why is it that you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place of worship, while we Samaritans claim it is here at Mount Gerizim, where our ancestors worship?" And Jesus replied, believe me, dear woman, The time is coming when it will no longer matter whether you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. You Samaritans know very little about about the one you worship, while we Jews know all about Him, for salvation comes through the Jews. But the time is coming. Indeed, it's here now, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship Him that way. For God is a spirit. For those who worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know the Messiah is coming, the one who's called Christ. When He comes, He will explain everything to us. And then Jesus told her, I am the Messiah. Just then His disciples came back. They were shocked to find Him talking to a woman, but none of them had the nerve to ask, what do you want with her or why are you talking to her? The woman left her water jar beside the well and ran back to the village, telling everyone, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? So the people came streaming from the village to see him. Meanwhile, his disciples were urging Jesus, Rabbi, eat something. But Jesus said, I have a kind of food you know nothing about. That's where the hunger buster comes in, by the way. Did someone bring him food while we were gone, the disciples asked? Then Jesus explained, My nourishment comes from doing the will of God who sent me and from, uh, who sent me and from finishing his work. You know the saying, four months between planting and harvest. But I say, wake up, look around. The fields are already ripe for harvest. The harvesters are paid good wages and the fruit they harvest is people brought to eternal life. What joy awaits both the planter and the harvester alike. You know the saying, one plants and another harvests," and that is true. I sent you to harvest where you didn't plant. Others had already got, done the work, and you'll get together the harvest. Many Samaritans from the village believed in Jesus because the woman had said, he told me everything I ever did. When they came out to see him, they begged him to stay in their village, so he stayed for two days, long enough for many more to hear his message and believe. Then they said to the woman, now we believe, not just because of what you told us, but because we've heard him ourselves. Now we know that he is indeed Savior of the world. That's my little grandson right there. Amen, brother. (laughs) Praise God. All right. Hallelujah. Jesus, God has an appetite for souls. God has an appetite for souls. Do you know that God is hungry for souls? Amen. You know, uh, uh, I've heard people say that, you know, God made man so that he would have fellowship. Well, you know, I I got a newsflash, you know, God didn't really make us so that we would have fellowship with him. God had all the fellowship he needed. He's never lacked any fellowship. He was in complete harmony with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Amen. He's never sat around in heaven and thought to himself, I sure am lonely. I wish somebody would show up. That's not what he had on his mind. But the Bible says in the book of Ephesians that we were created by God to show forth His good works. To show forth His good works. Amen. Have you ever thought about the fact that in the context of humanity is the only place that God can show forth the type of love Amen, that He has inside of Him? The, the grace that God has extended to us is exemplified in the, in, in the context of us. In the fact that He cared about us so much that He sent His Son that to die on a cross, who took on the robes of flesh, and, and, and gave Himself for us so that we might have eternal life. Amen. Somebody say amen. Y'all are scaring me. All right. <laughs> Amen. and so God, God sent forth His Son God has an appetite for souls when, when Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden God came down into the garden man and He was looking and He said Adam where art thou and Adam said uh, I'm, I'm afraid we're hid He said who told you you was afraid Amen. and so He killed, a, he killed the animal and he, and he clothed them and the first blood was shed for us For us, so that He could be a sacrifice for our sins. He showed us that through the blood, He would make a way that we could have fellowship with Him. Jesus has an appetite for souls. And we see in this story today that Jesus goes to Samaria... Amen. And as he's heading to Samaria, the first thing I want you to to notice in this passage of scripture is that it says that when the Jews found out that Jesus was baptizing people and that more people were getting baptized under Jesus than John, amen, that he left and went to Judea. And, and you know, the first thing that I want to think about today is, is that God is not trying to build a ministry. He's trying to build a kingdom. Ministries are great. They're a mobile for which we are able to do wonderful things for God. But if we're not if we're not careful, if we're not careful, we get caught up in the fact that uh, uh, the ministry becomes the focus rather than the kingdom of God and what God is really about. Amen. What he's what he's what he's hungry for more than anything else is for lost souls to come to him. Our pastor just gave us an awesome uh series on the shepherd and you know, one of the things that Jesus said about Himself as the Good Shepherd, He told His disciples He came to seek and to save those which are lost. He, and, and He gave us an illustration of how He left the 99, and He went out to find that one lost sheep. You know, because God is not okay with people dying and going to hell. The Bible says that He is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. If it's, It would be God's will for every person in this world to come to know Him as their Savior. Do you believe that today? Amen. We've got to believe that. Amen. I don't believe that anybody's doomed from the time they were born to go to hell. I believe that every single person on this planet is the person that God created in His image. He died for on the cross. And he's and he's hungry for them to hear the word of God and to come to the love and the grace that only God can bestow upon us. But how are they going to do that? How are they going to do that? They've got to know. They've got to be told. They've got it's got to be shown them that God loves them and that he wants them in his kingdom. Think back to when you got saved. And and how? What are the events that took place in order for uh, you to come to know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior? Every one of us in this room that are a Christian, we all have a different story. Every one of us have a different story. Some of them, some stories are are, are a little darker than others. Amen. But you know what? I can guarantee you this, that there is is something called God's prevenient grace. And that is the grace that goes before us, that prepares our hearts, that orchestrates things in our life, so that we can uh, come to a place to where we need to make a decision as to the life that we're living and the life that, that God offers us. That's called prevenient grace. I don't know about you, but man, I mean, my life was wrecked. I was raised in Dallas, Texas and, and I had a 13 year drug addiction and I came to know the Lord Jesus Christ at age 29. And at 29 years old, I was a hopeless heroin addict on the streets of Dallas. And I was doing a lot of things that I shouldn't have been doing. And you know, I had a mama and daddy that prayed for me for 13 years and they, they, you know, my dad was a minister and I brought a lot of shame to his name because a lot of people knew him and they knew what kind of life that I was living. And uh, I'll never forget one night in a motel room, I was laying in bed, and, and I was living with another couple, and man, we, we'd been together for like nine months, and we were, you know, just moving all over Dallas, just doing things that really we shouldn't have been doing. And we, I went to bed high on heroin at like 10 o'clock at night, and most usually we'd, we'd get a motel room, and we'd, you know, we'd go to sleep, and we'd get up right before checkout time and check out and, and, and the next day we'd be at a different motel. And that night, about 3 o'clock in the morning, I woke up. And I sat up in that bed, and it felt like somebody had stuck a butcher knife in my chest and was just twisting it. And I remember I woke up and I hollered out, and they were in 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 the next bed over, and I never even stirred. They never even woke up. But I hollered out, oh God, what is this? And the Lord spoke to me so strong, it might as well have been audible if it wasn't. And he said, This is a little bit of the pain that you've caused your parents for 13 years. Man, I could just feel the guilt and the conviction and and the shame just flood over me. And I wanted so badly to get up right then and go home and, and, you know, find my parents and tell them I was sorry and ask for forgiveness. But, you know, I didn't have what it took right that moment. But two weeks later, I found myself kneeling beside a bed with my dad, asking the Lord to come into my heart, changing my life. Amen. Delivering me from those drugs and that alcohol and that sinful life I was living. But you know what, folks? Let me tell you, God is preparing people's hearts. You know, I hear people say, man, pray that my, my, my son will get saved. Or pray that my nephew will come to the Lord. Well, you know, if we could just pray that prayer, you know, I mean, everybody gets get saved. We can't just pray that God saved my son. You know, we need to pray specifically. We need to understand that what we really need is for God to bring that person to a place to where they have to choose between the life they're living and the life that they've been living or that that God has for them. That we'll pray that God will put a barrier around their lives to cut off the evil influences in their life. That we'll pray that God will place Christians in their, in their way that would come and share with them the gospel of Jesus Christ and let His light shine so that they might see the, the good works of the Father and get hungry for something more than the, the God. You, you understand what I'm saying? Amen. Because each and every one of us that came to the Lord, something happened that brought us to that place. Jesus left where He was at and went to Samaria. Amen. I know that, you know, I've been stuck in, I was telling the guys, I've been stuck in this chapter for a month and a half now. Amen. I cannot get out of this chapter. I can't tell you that I've read it every day for a month and a half, but I cannot seem to get unstuck from this chapter. There is so much in there, there's no way I could share it with you all today in the time I have allotted. But I can tell you this, there's a very human side, and there's a very divine side. And you know, God is always involved in our lives. Do you know that? Amen. God's involved in your life whether you think He is or not. Amen. You better hope that He's involved in your life. Let me say that. Amen. God is involved in our life whether we think He is or not. And and you know what? Jesus, He got up from where He was at, and He headed towards Galilee. And and in between where He was at and Galilee lied this area called Samaria. And, And if you read the Word of God, you know that Samaritans were not very well liked by the Jews. And the reason for that is is because back in the Old Testament times, there was ten tribes that had split off from two other tribes. David was king over the two tribes. And the other ten tribes moved north and they became their own people. Well, eventually the Assyrians came down and conquered them. And when they conquered that area, the Assyrians came in and they intermingled and intermarried with the Jews. And over time... These people became basically what we might call half-breeds. And the Jews hated them. They hated them because they weren't Jews and they weren't Gentiles. They were something in between. That's the way they looked at them. It was very prejudiced. Amen. And so the Samaritans, if you look in Jesus' story, whenever he wanted to throw a twist in, he always threw the Samaritan in. It was the good Samaritan that stopped by the roadside to help the poor man that had been beat up by the robbers. And you know, and when he said the word Samaritan, every Jew listening to that story, oh, yeah, Samaritan, why didn't it have to be a Samaritan? Why couldn't it just be a good old boy? You know, and, and Jesus was constantly trying to get them to broaden their scope and try to help them to understand that God had a bigger plan in mind. And that bigger plan was going to include everybody. It wasn't just going to include the Samaritans, it was going to include the Gentiles too. Amen. The Bible says that the mystery of the gospel is that all households of faith might come under one roof. Are you hearing me today? Amen. That's why God is not so concerned about denominations and what sign we got out there beside the road and all that. He is concerned about whether or not we are in the kingdom of God. Amen. Whether we are blood-bought by Jesus Christ, whether we've asked Christ to come into our heart, that's what's important. Amen. And so uh, so Jesus, He's going to Samaria, and many times Pharisees especially would go over on the east side of Jordan and travel all the way up the east side of Jordan and cross over in order to avoid going through this area in Samaria. And the Samaritans were not allowed to come down and worship in the temple in Jerusalem. Amen? Even though the Gentiles had a place, these guys did not have a place. And over the, over the course of time, they had established their own place of worship. They, don't, they had kind of established their own re, uh, uh, form of religion, even though it was similar to the Jews. They had also incorporated some other things. And so they weren't very well liked. And so here Jesus, the Bible says He must need go through Samaria. He must need go through there, first of all, geographically, because it lied in between where he was trying to get. It was from point A to point B. But the next thing, the other reason why he must need go through there is because I'm sure that he understood in his world there was a divine appointment that was waiting to happen. You know what, folks? God wants to put some divine appointments in our life. And too often, I was thinking about this today. Man, the Lord's really been dealing with me recently about distractions. And and things that, that carry our attention away from where God really wants us to be. And you know, the news and sports and, 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 you know, just a career and things that are going on in your life that seem to just constantly uh, grab your attention. And, and if we're not careful, we lose what God is trying to do in the midst of everything else that's going on. God has a plan. He is going to do something right where we're at. Amen. And so God brings us to this place to where we have an opportunity to make, uh, uh, make impacts in people's lives along the way. Amen. had a wise man tell me one time, bloom where you planted. Bloom where you planted. You know, we're not all going to be able to be a missionary like Brother Brian and go across the sea and share the Word of God with, with a people that's unlike ourselves. But you know what? We can all be missionaries. We can all, you know, Jesus, when he looked at his disciples in Matthew chapter 28, he said this Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel. What is the gospel? It's the good news, man. What's the good news? It's your testimony. It's what God did for you. Amen. It's not what God did for me, it's what God did for you. Your, your story, how that the Lord saved you and, and showed you that His love was for you. It wasn't just for everybody else. It wasn't for somebody else. It was for you you personally. Are you hearing me today? I'm not mad if I'm yelling. I'm not mad. I'm just, it's just the way I am. <laughs> okay, so are you all with me still? All right. I've done lost totally where I'm at. Okay. Okay, so God wants us to know that He's working in the hearts of men. I'm glad that you're back there, brother. At least you know what's going on. Amen. God wants us to meet people where they are. We have to cross boundaries. we got to cross boundaries. You know, uh, we live in an area right here that has an unbelievable influx of ethnic groups because of the Tyson chicken plant. And, you know, uh, I, I mean... I, I, let me just speak for myself, okay? I'm ashamed. I'm ashamed. I'm ashamed that I don't know how to make an impact in all these Somalians' lives, these Muslims who don't know Christ as their Savior. I, you know, I'm ashamed that I'm, I, I'm uncertain how to, how to step into their world and, and try to make a relationship without having some sort of fear or apprehension about what that might mean for me. You know, I need God to help me to become more, you know, more susceptible to His bidding in my life, so that I can make a difference in somebody that's just not like me. You know, it's easy for us to get together in this room and feel comfortable and and uh, you know, let our little light shine, right? But when we get out of there in the world and it's just us and maybe we're the only one on our job or we're the only one in you know in our family perhaps, amen, who knows Jesus Christ as their Savior, and then we tend to let our little light get hid under the old bushel. Amen. You know what I'm saying? Sometimes we have to cross boundaries. Jesus was sitting on the side of a well. Man, what a picture of His humanity. He had just walked however many miles it took Him to get there. And He sits on the side of this well. And He's tired and He's thirsty. Amen. And it's noonday. The hot sun is shining down upon His head. And here comes this lady with her water pot to get water. Why is she coming at noon? That's not when they normally come to get the water. The watering hole was a pretty prominent spot in the community. I mean, water's one of those essential things that you might want to have some of. You know what I'm saying? Amen. And if, you, if you've ever worked in an office, you know what goes on around the water cooler, right? I mean, that's where all the talk goes down. That's where the gossip is. That's where the conversation takes place. That's where the relationships are. But this lady didn't have any relationship. Not with anybody in the community, perhaps. Amen? She had relationships in her past. And she had a relationship going on right now that wasn't looked upon very well. Amen? But at the same time, uh, as far as getting with the other ladies and having a little uh, a, a little conversation, that was probably not on her list. Because they knew what type of lady she was. They knew her past. They knew where she was living. They knew her husband or her supposed husband and 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 i'm sure that she felt very put off by being in a place where all those women were and so she comes all by herself in the middle of the day and little does she know she's going to run smack dab into god (laughs) in the flesh jesus christ amen and jesus looks into her face can I ask you a question? you ever been to the mall or at Christmas time, or any time really, I guess, or, or, or an airport? Brother Tony sits in a lot of airports, and I'm sure there's times when you just sit there, brother, and just look at people's faces. Have you ever just sat and looked at people's faces? Hey, Amen. They're going somewhere, man. they got something on their mind. They've they got things going on. But when you look into their faces, what you see oftentimes is sadness. You see, uh, uh, you know, confusion, and they're so distracted by the things of the world, and they're not really aware of the fact that God has something in store for them, that He wants to engage with them. In order for us to engage with the lost, we have to go where the lost are. We have to go with, I like to fish. I'm not going to catch no fish in here. Amen. I'm not going to catch a fish in here. There ain't no bass going to get on my hook in here. I could bring the best equipment I got, Brother Jeremy, and I could throw it out there, but I am not going to get a bass in here. You know why? Because there ain't no bass in here. You got to go where they're at, right? We were out there at the river yesterday. I had the privilege of being uh, out there for a couple of hours with Brother Jeremy, and, and uh, you know you know what I heard? Wow, why are you all doing this? Why, why are y- What is this? Who are y'all with? And I heard Jeremy sharing his testimony with somebody, and they were like, wow, that's awesome. You know, Did anybody get saved? I don't know. Did they? Maybe not. But I can guarantee you this. What did Jesus say? He said, not everybody that plants, harvests. The seed's got to be planted before the harvest can come. Somebody else can come along and do the harvest. Amen. we got to get out there and plant the seed. Sometimes we might actually get to do the harvest. And then when we do, that is an awesome experience. I don't think there's anything greater than when you have the opportunity to, to sit down with somebody and lead them to the Lord and pray that prayer with them and you know that they really mean it and see their life change. There is not a more awesome moment than that. That's as great as it gets, man. Amen. But you know what? In order for us to engage with them, we had to be willing to step out of our comfort zone and step into their world. Jesus found the fishermen down by the docks cleaning their nets. He wasn't a fisherman; he was a carpenter. Amen. He he wasn't at Lowe's witnessing to folks. He went down on the fishing docks and he shared the word of God. He stepped right off into their world. And said, Come. He found the tax collector at the booth collecting taxes. Amen. And he wasn't, you know, he wasn't a government official, but he went where they were. He went where they were. God wants you to be a hunger buster. He wants you to be a hunger buster. He wants to feed his appetite. He wants you to feed his appetite with souls. He done said, he said straight up, my meat is people. People. The harvest is people. When God's heart beats, people. People. People, that's how he, That's the way his heart sounds. Amen. And so God steps into this lady's world. Now let me tell you something. As I was looking at this passage of Scripture, what I found was that this is a clinic on personal evangelism. I mean, this is a clinic on personal evangelism because this lady exemplifies what we run across so often when we try to tell somebody about Jesus. First of all, she was pretty sarcastic. She was cynical. She was doubtful. You know? I mean, she had, she had some preconceived ideas that had been placed there probably by people who called themselves religious. Come on. I remember I pastored a church in Reeds, Missouri one time. Anybody ever been to Reeds? I'm sorry. <laughs> that is like the armpit of Missouri for sure, but... And anyway, I was there three years. I, I don't know if God was punishing me for some la- loss, some sea- secret sin I had, or what. I don't know exactly what was going on, but I was there for three years, man. And and you know what? It was. It's a farming community. It's a farming community. And, uh, you know, all the people there are very morally good. I mean, you know, they, they, had, they worked and they paid their bills and, and this and that and the other. But you know what? Uh, I could go out in that community, and I did many, many times, and I could knock on the door and probably ask anybody in that community to loan me ten bucks and they would have done it. You know? That, I had that kind of relationship with them. But if I asked them to come to church, they wasn't about to. The reason being had nothing to do with me. That church had been there about 30 years, and they had already ticked off everybody in that town two or three times. And there were already people that said that they were Christians who had treated them really badly. And so they had some very strong preconceived ideas, and I wasn't going to change those ideas. And sometimes we meet people out there that need Jesus, and they need to know that the Lord loves them and that their lives can be changed but if we're not careful, we, don't, we miss the fact, when they started throwing up opposition to us, we miss the fact that we're not the first guy that came along. Amen. we have to be a difference maker. We have to show them that we really have a reality, and that there's a difference in what we've got to offer. And so Jesus was sitting on the side of the well, and, and this lady comes by, and, and guess what? She, he begins to show her that he cares about what she cares about. You, are you following me? Am I doing all right? Yeah. <laughs> he cares what she, he cares what she cares about. What did she care about? Well, she wanted some water. You know, she came there to get water. That was the plan. And and, and you know, uh, Jesus looks at her and he says, "Okay." He uses what she's got going on. And he says, uh, hey, will not you give me a drink? You know, immediately she's aware of the fact that he is stepping out of his comfort zone. This is a Jew. He's a rabbi. Jewish men or rabbis weren't going, normally going to converse with a woman they didn't know. And they certainly wasn't going to talk to a Samaritan. And so right away she's aware of the fact that something is going down that's unusual. And she goes, why are you even talking to me? I mean, you're a Jewish man. You're a rabbi. You know, it was obviously he was a teacher from his garb. And, and she said, you know, you're a rabbi. You're a teacher. You're a Jew. And, and you're sitting here talking to me, a Samaritan woman. Uh, are you serious? You know, I mean, have you lost your mind? Have you, did you notice that he was all alone? Did you, did you pick up on that? He brought 12 guys with him. Somebody went to buy lunch. And all of them said, we'll go too. Wasn't none of them too happy about being in Samaria, you know? They probably had an unauthorized deacon meeting on the way to the the lunch shop there. And, you know, what are we doing over here? I hope nobody sees us. What are we going to tell people when they find out we went in here? And and so, like, he's all alone, and, and he's talking to this woman, and he begins to appeal to her need. Her need is water, and he says, okay, I can use that. I can use that. Let me tell you today. Amen. There's people that are in your life that God wants you to minister to and in order for them to care about what you uh, have to say, you've got to show them that you care about what, about what they care about. You know? I mean, their life is, is messed up, man. I mean, you know, their lives are messed up. I mean, this morning in McDonald County, I can guarantee you that when the sun came up and you know and, and we started getting up and getting ready for church, and you know and I was reading my Bible and had some worship music on, and, and you know, things were pretty harmonious in my house, you know, but I guarantee you that in some of these homes, little kids were waking up hungry, man. And you know, they look around at all the empty beer cans sitting on the coffee table and they know that there's no food in the house. And their ears are still ringing with the angry words of their parents that were fighting the night before. And, and, and you know, they had, they, had, they had no nourishment and no love and no concern from the people that are supposed to be taken care of. This is the norm. This is not the abnorm. This is the norm. Are you all hearing me today? And so God has brought us together today for this little training session. And Jesus has a a clinic that He's showing us on how to try to reach those people and make a difference in their homes. Listen, when they come to work, they may look fine. They might put that smile on their face. But if you listen to their conversation... If you'll just sit around and listen to their conversation a little bit, you'll pick up on little, tool, or little keys that'll let you know that things are not maybe so good in their life as they would like for you to think. And then you have the opportunity to look at them and say, hey, you know what? If you were to ask, if you were to just ask, I got a drink of water for you. I got something... That I can give you that's gonna bring everlasting life. It's gonna be like a well bubbling up within you. It is going to change the way you look at everything. You remember after you got saved, how you how you thought about everything? You know how the world looked totally different? How there was a joy and a peace in your heart that you didn't have before? You know, you can always tell when somebody really gets it because there's a smile on their face. You know why? Because they recognize the fact that they have been forgiven. You, know, you want to know where joy comes from? If you ever lose your joy, start looking for unforgiveness in your life. Because when you, when you are forgiven and, you are, and you are, your soul is at peace with God, there's going to be a smile on this face. Amen. Because there's a joy that's within. It's that well of living water, man, springing up within us. That well of everlasting life that Christ is, that flows from the very throne of God into our lives. And so he begins to tell her and, and, and kind of tease her with the idea that, you know what, there's something more than what you have here. I know you come here every day. I, I can tell by looking at, I'm going to paraphrase a little. I, I can tell by looking at your face that you're not very happy. I can tell there's things that are lacking in your life. But I've got the the solution. I've got the cure. If you would just be willing to ask, I can give this to you. Now there are some obstacles that we often face when that occurs. And one of those things is the subject of sin. We have to stop avoiding the subject of sin. Because sin is what separates us from God. Amen? The Bible says the sin, the soul that sinneth, it shall surely die. Well what does die really mean? In the New Testament or in the Bible, what we find is, is that death does not mean finality. It doesn't mean the end of things as we know it. What it does mean is separation. When you die physically, your body is separated from your spirit. Amen. When you die, your spirit is gone. That body is just a shell. You know, if they wheel that box in here and, and your bodies lay it in there, you know you're not. That's not you. That's just the house you were living in. Your spirit's gone. Your soul is gone. Are y'all with me today? Amen. They're going to take that box and drop it in a hole, and everybody's going to go eat potato salad. <laughs> and that's going to be the end of that. But you are going to live on somewhere. You know, our soul and our spirit is going to live on somewhere and there's really only two options. Amen. And so, uh, you know, death is separation from God. Death is separation from the Lord. And so he he looks at her and he says, uh, you know, stop avoiding the subject of sin. He says, where's your husband at? Now, he doesn't condemn her. You know, I used to know some guys down in the Osho, they'd stand out there on a busy street corner with a sign, a big sign that says, you're going to hell. You're going to hell. You know? Hey, maybe somebody got saved like that. I don't know. It doesn't seem like the most profitable evangelism tool to me. (laughs) But if that works for somebody, okay, whatever. But But I can tell you this. Sin is something that we have to deal with. So how do you deal with that, man? How do you even bring up the subject of sin? When you're talking to people who are living a sinful lifestyle, how do you even bring it up? Well, you got a life that you lived yourself. You have your testimony. You have your story. Listen, I don't have to condemn. I, I work with people all the time. I probably work with what most people would not consider to be the dregs of the earth. I meet with 100 sex offenders every week. I do 12 groups across the state. I've been doing that 13 years. I have I have met thousands of sex offenders, and you know uh, everybody's story's different. I've got people that were, you know, made really dumb mistakes, and I've got people that are pretty sick in the head. But here's the one thing I can tell you: out of all the thousands of people that I ever met, I never met one of those human beings that Christ didn't die for. I never met one of those people that Christ couldn't change, that God was not willing that should perish, that should go to hell. You know, if they would just accept the Lord into their heart, their life would be different. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter who they are. Amen. God's message is the same. The Gospel is universal. You know, Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the Gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to them that believe, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. It doesn't matter who you are. God's Word is still just as powerful today as it was then. And you know, when I see people and and and, and they're in their sin and, and they're doing things, you know, I can look at them and say, hey, well, let me tell you, man, I, I'm not judging you or nothing, but let me tell you how that worked out for me. Okay? Let me tell you how that worked out for me. I mean, I can remember that. I can remember when I thought like that, but... You know what? The Lord came in. He changed my ways of living. He changed my mind. He changed my heart. He gave me a new love. He gave me peace and joy. And, and you know, and 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 it's just like Jesus sitting on that well, going, "Man, if you want to drink of water, I got it, man. I got the water that you need. I got what you're you're thirsty for." And so we we don't have to avoid the subject of sin. Sin is the symptom. The 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 problem is something much deeper than that in this lady's life her problem was intimacy she had a every person in this room has a quest for intimacy we all want somebody who to love us and to care about us and, and to, you know that we can connect with and, and feel as though that person genuinely loves us with all their heart and you know what sometimes people's idea of intimacy gets a little messed up i mean i'm a, you know i'm a mental health counselor i can tell you I've met a lot of people who didn't really understand what intimacy was. I've seen a lot of people that went into certain lifestyles looking for intimacy, and what they found was something much different than that. Very empty. And a cheap substitute. God wants us to contrast religion with relationship. As this lady begins to dialogue with Christ, she begins to bring up the religion aspect. Okay, well, you know, you're, you, you, got, look, you seem like you've got something going on. I, you know, you're a little different than the last, the last preacher I met. i got, I got to hand it to you, Jesus. You know, you seem like you have a little different uh, uh, t- twist on things. But, you know, let's talk about religion for a minute. You know, let me tell you what religion does. Man, it'll kill you. Religion will kill you. Amen. You know, I used to go out when I was in Bible college, me and a buddy of mine, we used to go out and witness quite a bit. And we'd pass out gospel tracts, and we'd talk to people and try to share with them the gospel of Jesus and, and what have you. And, and you know, back then, uh, D. James Kennedy was a guy that uh, pastored a Presbyterian church over in Florida, and he had a thing called Evangelism Explosion. How many of y'all remember that? Two of us. Okay. and. <laughs> all righty well then anyway uh he had a little book that you read and he told you how to how to how to kind of witness to people right and so d james kennedy like um he, he said hey you know one thing you can do is you can ask people you know like if you were to die right now and you was to stand before god and god was to ask you you know why should i let you into my heaven what would be your answer and you know if you ask most people that if they say if they think they're going to go to heaven, most of them will say one of a couple of things. They'll either say, "Well, I'm I'm Baptist," or "I'm Methodist," or "I'm whatever," you know. I, I go I go to this church, or I go I was baptized, you know, and uh, or, or they might say, "Well, I'm a good person," you know, "I'm I'm I'm morally good." I mean, you know, I'm, I I believe in the golden rule. You know, what goes around comes around. I try to do my good thing. You know? But, you know, none of that gets you to heaven. The Bible says there's only one way to get to heaven. And it's through, you know, confessing with your mouth, believing in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord. I mean, that's the only way you're going to get there. That's the only way anybody's going to get there. There is no salvation other than Jesus. Amen? And so, you know, being a good person ain't going to get there. Joining the church ain't going to get there. Putting your name on a roll ain't going to get there. All right, Are you all hearing me today? Amen? And so this lady was fed up with religion. I doubt she ever went to church anymore. Religion was not working for her. What she needed was relationship. And that's what we have to offer in our lives. We have, the, we have the ability to offer a relationship with God. It comes through just understanding who He is and accepting Him into your heart. Amen. And so we have that ability. And God wants us to contrast religion with relationship. I love this part where he, she looks at Him and, and you know, her mind slowly goes from being cynical and sarcastic to where she's looking at Him going, why are you even talking to me anyway? I mean, you're a Jew. Well, I know all about you Jews. And, you know, and then she flows down through the whole thing about religion. Well, you know, you guys don't even want us worshiping at your church. I, we, I wouldn't even be welcome at your church. Huh? Hey, let me say something. If there's a person in this county who is lost and undone, and they need to be accepted when they walk in this door right here. And I know they are. Can I say something about this church? And I'll say this with all of my heart. I grew up in church. And I've been a Christian for 32 years. And I've pastored several churches. I'm going to tell you something right now and I want you to receive this. With all your heart. I have never been in a church that has better community than this church. Never. The 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 love, the acceptance, the involvement. I mean, it's amazing. I mean, you guys are amazing. God has got got a He has got an environment right here. That I believe that the worst sinner in this county could walk in this place and somebody would sit down beside them, embrace them, uh, try to find out who they are and be there for them. Amen. Give yourself a hand. Will you do it? Amen. That's good. There's nothing wrong with that. Amen. You know, that's the kind of people we are supposed to be. To where we can reach out with the love of Jesus. It doesn't matter what we say if we don't do what we say. You know we've got to we've got to be able to exemplify it, and and I love it when she looks at him and she says, you know, I know that there's this guy, Christ, the Messiah. I know that the, I've heard the story about the one who's able to really make the difference. And Jesus looks at him, at her, and I have never I don't know it may be in there, but I have never found any place else in the Word of God where He looks straight into somebody's face and said, "I'm Him, I'm Him." You're looking at Him. I am the Messiah. You know? I mean, he showed himself to be the Messiah. He told him in so many different ways he's, he was the Messiah. But in this lady's life, he looked her straight in the eye and said, baby, I'm her. I'm him, honey. You, you found him. Amen. Oh, if we could just reveal Jesus. If we could just reveal Jesus. We don't have to worry about what we look like. We don't have to worry about our problems and our issues. Ain't none of us in this room perfect. Hey, Amen. Don't look at me. Look at Him. Amen. He's the one with the answer. He's the one who's got the. He, he's the one that's got the ability to bring us into this kingdom. Amen. Hallelujah. Finally, last thing. I'm almost done. God wants us to get. You didn't think I was going to make it this far, did you? God wants us to get to work. God wants us to get to work. Oh, I love that. This is where the meat of the passage is. Right here. All this other was just the introduction. This is the meat right here. Amen. Jesus said, as the boys return with the lunch, (laughs) and they're like, What's he talking to her for? Doesn't he know she's a woman? And she runs off with joy in her heart to tell everybody else about how she just had this experience with God that she didn't think that she was able to have because of her lifestyle and how she saw herself. Listen, it doesn't matter how how you see yourself. It's how God sees you. Amen. It doesn't matter how you see yourself. It doesn't matter who you say you are. It's who God says you are. And you know what? He says that you are His workmanship created unto good works. God, you're a trophy in God's eyes. Amen. And so she runs off to share the good news that has been shared with her, that she has had a God experience in her life. And the disciples are like, What's going on? And Jesus says, Hey guys, I want you to look around. And you know what? I could see in my mind as people are, are in, down in the town or are, are, you know, wearing those white robes or whatever they wore at that time, and they're running back up to where Jesus is, and it looks like just a herd of people. You know, yesterday was, <laughs> yesterday was out there at the river. And and, was, and around the bend was all these rafts, right? And it was like a visual—what you call it—a mirage or a, 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 a something. And it's like it looked like that there was that the same group was there the entire time, but little—it was it was just more people coming in, more, and it slowly trickled by. But man, when you look down there, it looked like you had the whole—you know—the whole shooting match coming at you at once, you know. And I could just see Jesus pointing to His disciples, to these people that are coming up the hill to, to, to see Him in their white robes. And He said, guys, looky here. The fields are white unto harvest. There are so many souls. When you walk out these doors today, amen, when you get on your job tomorrow, and when, you, when you're at buying your groceries at the store, or you're buying your gas, and you look around, I want you to think to your mind, man, these are harvest fields. These are people out there that may, don't know Jesus, and you are the one standing there with the bucket of water going, man, I could give you a drink if you just let me. Amen. And so he says, guys, don't say four, four months into harvest. You ain't got to sit around and wait. Time is now. How many of you know we're living in the last day? If you don't know it, you missed it. I mean, we are living in the last day. I don't know when that last day is going to be, but I know that things are shaping up pretty good. And and I know that we are I've never in my lifetime seen a time when there's more, uh, you know, fear and division and hatred and, and all the stuff that goes down right now. And, and, you know, and if there was ever a time when the church needs to rise up and share the good news of Jesus Christ and us take our rightful place and show people that, you know what, you're not going to fix this through any political party. You're not going to fix this through some kind of movement or crusade or, or Or march. The only thing that's going to fix what we got going on in our lives is God. And we are the the bearers of that good news. Amen. Don't say four months. Somebody else has already planted some seed. You don't know in your job who has already planted the seed and God's looking for you to be the harvester. He's looking for you to come along and harvest the seed. The last thing, I didn't put it in the notes, but if you look over in the book of Acts, I think it's about chapter 8 or so. You see the story of Philip. And you know, at the time that uh, Jerusalem, uh, uh, when persecution came down on Jerusalem, there was over 10,000 people in the church of Jerusalem. Did you know that? When it said that when when Stephen got martyred, there were over 10,000 people that were in Jerusalem that were Christians. And you know, you'd think God would be like, wow, that's awesome, man, we're building a mega church, dude. You know? But that wasn't his plan. And so persecution came down and they began to flee for their lives. And Philip went up, you know where he went? Samaria. He went to Samaria. And he was a deacon. He wasn't a preacher. Nobody told him he was called to preach. But you know what? He had Jesus Christ in his heart. He had the love of God within him and he had the fire of the Lord. And he gets into Samaria and he starts preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the next thing you know, Philip is a ten evangelist. I mean, people are getting healed. Demons are getting cast out. Miracles are occurring. I mean, man, he's baptizing people. I mean, he is making a splash, buddy. And he didn't even realize he was going to do this stuff. Amen. But how, you know what? Samaria was ripe for the taking. You know why? Because somebody planted the seed. The harvest was white. All he was looking for was somebody to come in and gather it up. Amen. You don't know what your harvest field is like right now. It may be just waiting for you to just open your mouth. Yes, we must let our light shine. Yeah, I've heard that saying where preach the gospel everywhere you go. Use words if necessary. Yeah, it's great. Our life needs to be the first and foremost witness of the gospel. But if we don't open our mouth and share the Word of God with somebody, they're not going to know. They're not going to know. Amen. And so I want to encourage you today. I want want to encourage you today in two things. One thing is is I want you to know that God wants you to be a part of this movement. He's not looking for just the pastor or myself or or a certain select few. Man, there's no room on the bench for anybody to sit down and do nothing. We all have a role to play. Each one of us has a world that we can go and reach for Jesus if we will just allow ourselves to be involved. Amen. The second thing is, is that more than likely, if you will pray and ask God, He'll show you which one it is. He'll put somebody's face in your mind. He'll open up a door of opportunity. Somebody will say something that will just ring a bell in your heart to where you'll say, whoa, wait a minute. wait! This is an opportunity right here. And that's when you break out that bucket and start pouring some water. Because they're thirsty, guys. They're thirsty. Bow your heads with me real quick. Amen. Hallelujah. Father, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord, today for the opportunity to share your word. Thank you, God, for this awesome group of people, Lord. Father God, I just pray, God, that your Holy Spirit, Lord, would just take the words that's been spoken today. Lord, I know I'm inadequate, God, but your Holy Spirit, God, is is awesome. And Lord, You can take something that was said, and later You can remind us of it. And I pray, God, that You'd bring people into our lives. And Lord, that You would just give us that unction and that awareness that when somebody is hurting and they need to hear the Word of God, that You would just encourage us, Lord, to be bold. To be bold with our testimony. God, not to withhold that that grace that we've been given, but to distribute it to them. Freely. Freely we've been given. Lord, help us to freely give. Lord, we praise You for that. Keep your head bowed just for a moment. I wouldn't want to preach this message this morning without giving an opportunity for somebody to come to know the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior. Because as great as it is to share the Word of God with somebody and to pray with them and to lead them to the Lord, let me tell you what's even greater is the day that you yourself come to know Jesus. That day is an awesome day. June fourteenth, nineteen eighty six, I came to know the Lord Jesus Christ as my Savior. I celebrate it every year. It is my spiritual birthday. I'll never forget it. If there's any person in this house today and you'd say, Gary, I I, I need to know Jesus as my savior, I've got man, I'm thirsty i got things in my life that is just dragging me down. I'm not happy. My marriage is not right. My home is not right. I need Jesus to come in and to change things in my life. If, you, if that's you, I'm not going to embarrass you or anything else. I just want you to slip your hand up while everybody's got their eyes shut. And I'm just going to pray, say a prayer with you right now. I won't ask you to come up here or anything. Anybody, you're here in this house and you say, man, I need Jesus. I need the Lord to just change my life. Amen. Amen. I want us to pray right now that God will make us an active ingredient in winning souls for the kingdom of God. How many of you want to do that? If that's you, lift your hand today. Thank you. Amen. Stand with me today, will you? We're going to have a prayer right now. And then I'm going to ask the pastor to come back. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Hopefully some of you, maybe not all of you, but hopefully some of you, somebody's face was in your mind. Somebody in your life that needs the Lord, their face is in your mind and you're thinking, man, I need God to help me to win that person. That's the person that we were going to pray for right now. Are you ready? Let's do it. Father, God, Lord, You see each and every one of our lives. You know the people that are close to us and who we have association with. God, You know the divine appointments that You're wanting to set up in our hearts and our lives so that we can make a difference. God, I pray, Lord, that You would just give us boldness God, Lord, that You would just help us, Lord Jesus. God, to just take opportunity. And, and, and Lord, give us a a commitment in our heart to, to to be a hunger buster for You, God. Lord, just to, 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 to quench Your thirst and fill Your appetite with souls. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Hallelujah.